0: We're going to come round to the Word of God now. Carl is going to be speaking to us today. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18 today. And we're going to start at verse 18 as well. The rich... And the kingdom of God. And this is what it says A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this then asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God." Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, We're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they praised God. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Carl, who's going to bring us the message today. Father God, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you, Lord God, that as we read your word, it encourages us. It challenges us. It helps us to see those areas in our life which are not honouring to you, and it spurs us on to live wholeheartedly for you. Lord, as we consider this vital, vital passage today, we ask that you will help us to follow you in the way that you're calling us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Just looking at the guys on the tech at the
1: back. By the way, guys, you're doing an awesome job. Thank you. Um, You're amazing. This microphone's fine, all good to go. Perfect, thumbs up. Well, it is good to be here this morning, and it's good to look again at this gospel. Um, I hope that you've been enjoying this teaching series on Luke. Um, I know you can't shout your amens at me if you're in the room, although at home I'm hearing them. But um, you can nod your head if you have. In um, the race, good news. And if you've if you've not heard all of the sermons, can I encourage you maybe to go and listen back to some of them? They're all available on our YouTube channel, and if you are also signed up to our Facebook page. You'll see them played back in the week as well. This is just such important stuff at this point in our history, both as individual followers of Jesus, but as a society as a whole. Here we stand at a significant point, a junction, if you like, in our existence. Well, a lot of us are asking big questions about what is important in this world. What ought to be the priorities in my life? What ought to be our priorities as God's people in the communities that he's called us to serve? What's important? There is no better place to look than in the words of Jesus himself as we are asking those questions, the life and example of the one who those of us who are Christians choose to follow. Which is why I'm so pleased that we're spending time working systematically, chapter by chapter, through Luke's Gospel. This is another cracking chapter. If you do nothing else today, I mean I hope that you hear a little of what God might say to you as I'm speaking just at the moment, but if you do nothing else please spend a bit of time later on reading through the whole of Luke 18 again. Open to the Spirit of God speaking to you directly through his word because if you didn't know that, God can do that and God does do that as we open up his word ourselves. But we're going to focus on just the last part of this chapter, a chapter which actually repeats themes over and over and over. And if you read the whole of the chapter, you'll pick up on some of that. It's a chapter of compare and contrast. And in many ways, the fundamental question that's being asked here is what kind of follower is Jesus What kind of follower is Jesus looking for? Maybe what are the characteristics of someone who will be a follower of Jesus in his kingdom? And so we start with this incredible character that in Luke's gospel is just called the the rich ruler. In uh, Matthew and Mark, the rich young ruler is the, the description that's given. Someone who clearly is incredibly wealthy and almost certainly has some status in that society at that point in time. And this guy comes up to Jesus, someone who I think he's probably heard of, and starts off with the the good teacher line. Let me read this again. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's buttering Jesus up with the good teacher thing, isn't he? I say, do you, do you ever read these characters in scripture with a, with an accent? Of course, they would have all been with a Middle Eastern accent, actually, but I kind of read this character with a rather a posh accent. I say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Type of thing, um, because I'm terribly important and quite rich, actually, don't you know? And, and, and Jesus retorts back straight away hang on a second, you're not buttering me up, my friend. No one is good. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone says, Jesus, you're not going to get around me by, by, by buttering me up in that way. And then proceeds to talk about some of the commandments that would have been familiar to this Jewish rich ruler. The, the, the Ten Commandments, if you like, are begun to, to be ex- explored here as Jesus talks about not committing adultery and murder and not stealing and not giving false testimony and honouring father and mother, to which the guy says, oh, well, I've kept all of those. All of my life, I've kept all of those. And then Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter. I wonder whether this has been the case for you as well in your walk with Jesus. Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter because he sees the heart of this rich ruler and says, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Do you think that Jesus is saying that wealth is a problem? It's a question that churns over in my mind quite a bit as I read passages like this it's certainly something that I've discussed with quite a few people and maybe in your life groups it's a question you want to turn over and chat about in this coming week do you think that Jesus sees wealth as a problem well as we read on through this passage Jesus says some pretty tough things about those who are wealthy I'm not convinced that he actually says wealth per se is a problem But this passage taken with others of Jesus' teaching and also the example of his life would tend to suggest that actually wealth can at least cause problems, even if it's not a problem in and of itself. Certainly, financial injustice was present in Jesus' day and Jesus calls that out regularly in his teaching, and in his lifestyle. Sisters and brothers, those watching in Plymouth, those watching maybe from other parts of the country or across the world, in your communities, is that not still the case? Is financial injustice still present amongst us? Here in Plymouth we're blessed to have people who organize for us things like soup runs for those who are homeless, charities that are designed to feed those who are poor, other charities that are designed to help people who've got into the most incredible debt. This enfleshed gospel, that's what that is, the gospel enfleshed for people to see. Look financial injustice is most definitely prevalent in our society today. So when Jesus talks to us about our wealth, then maybe that's something that our ears should prick up, given that we haven't achieved some society where there is no injustice when it comes down to our finances just at the moment. This young ruler's reaction to Jesus' challenge is you can almost feel the stab, can't you, emotionally. His heart is sad. Why is his heart sad? Well, because Jesus has hit the nail on the head straight away. He has figured out what it is that's stopping this person from following him. You see, the last bit of the sentence says this. You, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The question that this guy asks is what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus says that, that you've got to do something dramatic. But then he says, come, follow me. That's the crux of the matter here. Because when we're talking about inheriting eternal life, what we're not talking about is something that happens the day that we stop breathing. You guys are already part of the eternal life. If you're a follower of Jesus, eternal life doesn't finish the day you stop breathing. It starts the day you follow Jesus. And that's the case here in Scripture as well. Jesus doesn't talk about a ticket to heaven when you die. He talks about a kingdom that you live in whilst you're here. God's kingdom is the phrase that's repeated over and over and over and over again by Jesus through the Gospels. The invitation to walk in a different way with different priorities, with a different view of life. The the invitation to follow Jesus the saviour. That is what is on offer. That's what eternal life looks like. And for this guy, his heart is broken and he's sad because of his great wealth. And then Jesus does this wonderful pictorial language, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's harsh teaching. Maybe, maybe I should say this, and I say this in challenge to myself as much as in challenge to anyone else. When Jesus talks about this whole issue of wealth, what does it look like? What, what, how should I hear that? Let me say this. What if every single penny that's in your bank account right now is not actually yours? What if your perspective on that which you have, on the money which is in your bank account, is merely merely a blessing of God lent to you so that you can be a blessing to others as well? It's not a possession that you own. It's not something that you've got tight-fisted. It's simply something that open-handed you've received from the Father God, He's the only one who's the giver of all good things. And so we receive it with open hands, but then we don't grasp it. We keep our hands open as blessing. This is fundamentally the nature of who God is. When you read back to the commissioning of Abraham, the the Abraham who had many sons, we won't sing the song. But Abraham, who'd many sons that the father of all nations, God commissions, the very first commission for his people, of which you and I are his people today. And in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing for all peoples. Now that blessing is not just finance that he's talking to Abraham about, but it includes finance what if we view our possessions our finances in that way received open-handed a blessing from almighty God remained open-handed and gifted back as a blessing to others why well because it's God's nature to bless us and it's God's call on us commissioning on us to be a channel for his blessing to others in the world what that looks like for me what that looks like for you, that is between you and God. And I recognise that when I say that and when I, when I talk about things in this way, look, for some of you, you have partners who aren't going to see things in the same way as you. Please do not hear a word that sounds condemning. Please know that God knows that and abundantly loves you and his heart is to bless you and your partner just the same But he recognises that not everyone will have the freedom to be able to to have the open-handed blessings to others that, that others might have. So please don't feel in any way a word of condemnation on this one. But for those of us who have that choice, how will we react? How will we react? Why? Because that is part and parcel of coming and following Jesus then come and follow me. In order to do that, that is what we have to do. And then we've got this incredible contrast, almost juxtaposed against the rich ruler, is the blind beggar, who, again, in Luke's gospel, we're not told his name. But if you read the parallel passage in Mark, you'll hear to him referred to As Bartimaeus, this blind beggar just outside of Jericho on the roadside. And as chance would have it, as if there's any chances in the kingdom of God, along the road comes Jesus. This has been the the moment that this blind beggar has been waiting for, potentially for years and years. As long as he's known of Jesus, he's been waiting for this moment to happen. And here comes Jesus with a crowd of others around him along the road. The blind beggar shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. As you're reading through this passage, as you're reading through this chapter, please look back and do the compare and contrast between the different characters. Look at the phraseology. The rich young ruler tries to butter Jesus up, remember, with the phrase, good teacher. Good teacher, I say. Whereas this blind beggar instead says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What a different approach to Jesus these two characters have. It's significant that the blind beggar uses the phrase son of David. Why? Well, because the prophets of old had prophesied that the Messiah would come through the line of David. This son of David is the declaration by the blind beggar that you are my saviour. And as my saviour, I come before you. Have mercy on me. Well, the crowds think the blind beggar too unworthy for Jesus' time look back in this chapter and the crowds thought the same about children just a few verses before and Jesus chastised those and said let those children come and no one enters the kingdom of heaven unless they become like that little child. Now Jesus hears the words called out and asks for the blind beggar to come to him and then there is this wonderful and profound question that is asked. Jesus asks the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? For those of you that have read this passage before, have you ever wondered why Jesus asked that? I mean, Jesus knew, didn't he? It was probably quite obvious what the blind beggar wanted Jesus to do for him. So why did Jesus ask? What do you want me to do for you? It's a good question for you to, again, kick around a little bit in your life groups in this coming week. I think that Jesus both wants to hear the heart of the blind beggar also wants the blind beggar to demonstrate to the crowds that are watching this going on something of faith. Because Jesus could have literally just gone, yep, healed and just carried walking on. It would have been a footnote at most in this whole chapter. But instead, Jesus asks the blind, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see, says the blind beggar. And then Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. Receive your sight. There's something here which is very much a physical healing. So let's not deny that in this passage. But when Jesus gives the blind beggar sight, it's not just of his eyes. Because something in the spirit of that blind beggar opens up. So that his response is, yes, he immediately received his sight, but he followed Jesus, praising God. Let's juxtapose the two characters again. Here's the blind beggar who receives physical sight, but also receives spiritual sight and chooses to be a follower of Jesus. We've got the rich ruler who, because he's not prepared to give up that which is most important in his life, chooses not to follow Jesus. As we find ourselves at this junction in our lives, at this junction in our society at the moment, what kind of followers is Jesus looking for? It's not changed since the very beginning, which is why it's so good to go back and to study the Gospels. Jesus is looking for the one who recognises who he is. Not just a good teacher, but the son of David, the the Messiah, the the, the saviour of the world. Someone who comes humbly to Jesus rather than approaches with a sense of potential self-righteousness, maybe even pride. Someone who recognises their utter need for Jesus, rather than someone who is self-sufficient in their lives, got it all sorted. Someone who is prepared to give up what they have to follow Jesus rather than someone who is tight-fisted and unable to give up what seems most important to them sisters and brothers in a moment we're going to come to the Lord's table and as we do this is an opportunity for us whether we're in the building or whether we're watching at home to cry out Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. We need you. We absolutely have no other option. We need you, Jesus. We need to recognise that only in you can we inherit eternal life. And that that eternal life doesn't start the moment we stop breathing but it starts the moment that we follow Jesus. If we are in this room and we've never made that decision to follow Jesus for the first time, then today, in these moments, around this table, as we remember the death and resurrection of the Saviour, the Son of David, Jesus, let that journey begin today. If you're at home, you're tuning in and either you're watching live or you're watching this as the recording, the same message to you. Inherit eternal life now as you recognise Jesus, the son of David, to be the only one who can offer you that eternal life. And equally, as you give all to him, you receive the greatest possible gift. And begin to experience walking life in the kingdom of God rather than in this world around us. I'm not going to look at the beginning of this chapter. But if you were to, you'd see also that there was something about persistence that's a the theme through this chapter. The beginning of this chapter starts with the story of the persistent widow. And we've just read in the story of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. That he persists in order for Jesus to see him, to hear him, to get his audience with Jesus. Maybe there are some of us that have walked with Jesus for a long time. Maybe there are some who over this last year, it's been a struggle. Potentially, as various things in life have happened, whether they're to do with loved ones, whether they're to do with employment, close family to us, whatever it might be, it has been tough. And so there is a doubting of our faith. That's not unusual. Every single person who follows Jesus doubts from time to time. But here in this message, not just the challenge for how we live, but the encouragement to follow the game is not up, the story is not over, there is still the forgiveness of a saviour that means that we can walk in the kingdom of God. And equally the persistence in your walk with Jesus is rewarded. There's something quite clearly in this passage that keeping going, keeping on, persisting is so so important in our faith in our journeys of faith so please can i encourage those of you who are of what with jesus for many years to keep on and keep on and keep on i'm going to pray i'm going to hand back to luke who's going to lead us in communion and as we do then we don't just do this as an act of remembrance This is not a memorial service. We do this as a living, breathing meal where we meet with Jesus, the risen Christ, and we recognize that in the Son of David who has mercy on us, we can find true life. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the characters that we've spent just a few moments today with in this particular chapter. Lord, thank you for what we learn about the type of follower that you desire. And Lord, I pray that the challenge on our hearts, Lord, is one that comes, Spirit of God, by you, that will rest on us but equally that you will encourage us to persist in our faith. Pray particularly for those, Father, who maybe have not yet started that journey of faith, who have not yet inherited eternal life. Lord, I pray that today for the things that might block us, be they wealth, be they family, be they whatever, that God, we hand those to you so that we're those free to follow where you lead us in our lives. Hear our prayer. Amen.